Green New Deal or Green Raw Deal? We're about to find out. I'm here with uh, Drake Lundstrom. He is researcher for the popular YouTube channel Freedom Tunes, really great cartoons, love that channel, and a contributor at actualanarchy.com. Drake, thanks for coming on the Scottish Liberty Podcast. My pleasure. Okay, good to have you. So why don't you just, before we launch into uh, exploring the Green New Deal, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, how you how you came to be a researcher from Freedom Tunes and what you're into these days? So I'm a kind of the typical story of found a libertarian group in college and I'm an engineer by trade, but I don't like losing arguments, right. so I ended up just studying more than everyone else, and we kept going on the debate stage because we set them up at college, and just because I couldn't stand losing, I went through the whole archives of Tom Woods' podcast mm -hmm. and part of the problem, and Jason Stapleton and the rest, and now I know too many facts for my own good. <laughs> I Perfect for being a researcher. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened is um, Freedom Tunes does a monthly hangout or even more than monthly with his Patreons. And um, I was just on the hangout and a topic came up and I just dropped fact after fact and like started putting links in the chat and he wanted a copy of like the links afterwards. And then he was like, oh, and this other question and then snowballed. And now I help out with researching because... I enjoy doing it. And then I occasionally write articles for actual anarchy for the same reason. I've been on their podcast once or twice. It's so far buried. You probably can't find it, but I gave a bit of a drunken interview about how Sharknado is the fourth most libertarian movie ever. <laughs> Sharknado, the fourth. I love it. Um, yep. gr great. So I don't know if that story of finding a libertarian college group is that typical, even though you said it's typical. Where are you being ironic? Um, at least in the U.S., you run into a lot of them because uh, the Ron Paul movement was really big on college campuses. So it kind of varies by age, but a lot of people found Ron Paul on college campuses and then kind of went from there and then all of the Ron Paul students for Ron Paul turned into Young Americans for Liberty and then there's Young Americans for Freedom and a couple others so it's not like it's not the most common origin story but it's a relatively common one okay cool that's good to know so you have been researching the Green New Deal and I want to put that massive brain of yours to use because it was a shame if you condensed all your findings into a three and a half minute amusing clickbait cartoon and you we weren't able to utilize the full span of what you've accomplished in your reading so for those who don't know that much about it why don't we because sometimes i myself like i know something's going on but i don't go out the way to research it too deeply because it's opportunity cost man i can't know everything yeah. about everything though i tried damn hard um so so why don't you tell us a little bit about the green new deal its background when did this idea spring up and uh, what is it so the green new deal as a policy proposal has been around for quite a long time um it's a plank of the green party platform there's a couple different versions that have been floated for a while and 
Um, in Obama's 2008 stimulus package, he put maybe $90 billion towards investment in green energy. There's some people calling that a Green New Deal at the time. It's been around for a, a while, and it's really come back in the lime, limelight with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. She's really jumped on the hill and started pushing for it and just ramming it down other Democrats' thro throats. There's some like really awful videos of her sending legions of like small children to interview, I believe it's, is it Maxine Water? There was some Democratic uh, congressperson that had just a horde of little children saying, we're the faces of the people, like we're the faces of the people that will suffer if you don't pass the Green New Deal right now. But the bill itself, it's not really, um, it's not really enforceable legislation. It's a resolution, so it does not actually require any action to be taken. It's more of kind of a wish list, this is our goal, that will be used to justify future policies. And it's been attacked by a lot of people, but I do... All right, sorry, do you have something to chime in? No, I was just saying, um, okay, so uh, we're, we're going to get into the reads a little bit more about that. And just obviously it's named after the New Deal where FDR, the president, um, I guess, well, why don't you, why don't you explain the parallel? Yeah. Although, and I do want to say one fast thing with it first, a lot of people, when they're referencing the Green New Deal, talk about a um, set of FAQs and a summary that was released about it. The FAQs and summary were a bit insane to the point that anyone could tear them down. It said stuff like, we want to ban all cows and airplanes within 10 years, and we want to, what, what else was there? Um, we should give welfare to anyone unable or unwilling to work. Yeah, 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 and that unwilling to work got... Yeah attracted Full attention even from yeah, yeah yeah so you're saying that is a that document that faq is probably a straw man we want to actually look at the most plausible uh, case of a green new deal and yep. not not make it too easy for for ourselves well i mean we're already coming out and in, in prejudice against it i guess uh but yeah and and yeah. i should say you know one of my most popular podcasts ever is called um something like only capitalism can save the planet socialism will destroy the earth when i went very deeply into um free market environmentalism so it's not out of hatred of the planet that we are going to critique the the green new deal i should add um but i just wanted to, so so the the new deal was um massive pro government program in America where the government spent tons of money and the thought that this would take America out of the Great Depression. is uh, That's the highlight. Is there anything you would like to add to that? So the New Deal was claimed to take America out of the Great Depression. It utterly failed. Just catastrophic failure. There's been some recent evaluations showing that the depression would have ended in i think it was 1933 or sorry, 1936 or so without the great uh the new deal and it ended up going all the way into the early 40s um just yes, but, but it's taught in failure. school it's taught in school even uh, official officially that officially the the new deal ended the great depression this is like it was Keynes gave the justification for this, the idea that the government can spend money 
and that will stimulate the economy. And the reason why I mention that is the idea of this Green New Deal is no doubt that we can create, we, the government can create green jobs. Why doesn't the government, everyone loves the planet, so why don't, doesn't the government chuck lots of money at renewables, for example, and that's going to create jobs? Of course, money never comes out of thin air. There's, broadly speaking, three ways that the government can um, attain money, that is to tax people. And obviously if you tax people to pay for the Green New Deal, then those people aren't spending that money creating jobs. Uh, so there's gonna be a opportunity cost there. If you print money that devalues the currency so that um, the money that everyone has um, is going to not go as far. So that's also, in, in, a way, in a roundabout way is going to inhibit job growth because because um, everything's going to be more expensive. So, and then the final way is of course to spend into debt. Um, when you do that, then you're eating up the pool of money available for banks to lend to businesses and things like that to grow their businesses because it becomes more lucrative to lend that money to the government than to lend it to the uh, private sector, thus also inhibiting job growth. And these are three of the reasons why, uh, for, the, for a quick recap, uh, for in case anyone was uh, needed a recap on why government more government spending will not create more jobs. It might create different jobs, but it certainly won't create more jobs. And it's important to note, so the Keynesian theory says that you should have stimulus spending when the when the economy is running like not running hot when it's kind of cooled down and there's not enough jobs available and things aren't doing too well and need like a jump start right a bit of a bad summary since I don't really believe in their yes, yes. theory. So, so, I mean, if we were to be very charitable to Keynes, we might even say that were he alive today, he might be utterly appalled at what governments have done in the name of his theories. He might not have even agreed with, he might not have even agreed with the way that his theories have been applied or used to justify government actions. You know, he was for a mixed economy. He wasn't um, a pure socialist. So uh, another point that um, I should really mention about the economic stimulus, dame, it was on my lips when you were talking. You talk for a while. I'm sure it'll come back to me. Okay. But I was going to say, so right now the U.S. unemployment rate is at something like 3 or 4%. There is no slack in the job market, even from a, the most diehard Keynesian point of view, having a Green New Deal right now makes no economic sense. Okay. And you have people that are pushing it and saying, it'll help the economy, create all these jobs. But a normal Keynesian would say, you can only create jobs when people aren't already working. Everyone's right. already working. Like Even a Keynesian would have to disagree with this plan. Right. Okay. So what I would, I remembered what I was going to say. It's a little understood. I don't hear libertarians explain it enough or clearly enough um, to my satisfaction. So I want to explain another fallacy of this idea that if the economy is taking a tanking, the government should create jobs. And I want to just use a metaphor or an example, right? Supposing we have the car industry and 
the factories are closing down because there's not enough demand for cars. And the demand for cars is just a metaphor for demands on all goods and services in the economy in, in this explanation, right? The reason why those aren't selling is because, well, people, one people, people don't have enough money for them, but they've already got enough cars. They don't want them. They might not have figured out what they do want yet. So what would happen on a free market is some of the car factories will close down uh, so that the demand for cars will, so the supply of the, for cars will match the demand for cars approximately. And that's good because those factories can be sold onto someone that can do something good with them. The machines will have to be repurposed to be used to manufacture other goods that people don't want. Now, my my kind of analogy is to say, now imagine the government stimulates the economy. So people have got more money around and they think, okay, yeah, let's go out and buy a few cars. Um, now, in the short term, these the car industry seems to be doing much better than it was. Oh good, look, the economic stimulus is working. But what actually happens is that when, when people realize that there's not actually enough, as much resources in the economy as there is money because of the deficit spending or the printing of money to create um, this extra demand for cars, the number of car, uh, that not only will people not want cars, but a whole bunch of people have just gone out and buy, bought them, so they won't be needing another one for five to 10 years. And instead of slowly closing down one at a time, a whole bunch of car factories will have to close down all at once because of this adjustment. And all of these uh, car people working in car manufacturing will be thrown out into the job market at the same time um, making it more difficult for them to find positions because there's more people in a similar position to them to compete with. So it's going to, it's like the, the proverbial cocaine binge and then the following Yeah, and uh, that's hangover, what people you know? miss is that the recession is actually a good thing it's very painful but it's the economy kind of cleaning up and reallocated like 2008 we realized no everyone already has three houses they're flipping we don't right. need to build any more houses let's have people stop being house builders and start building like i don't know iphones and burritos right right okay well There's a neat, uh, video if you want to link it from learn liberty that explains austrian business cycle theory which is kind of that in like four and a half minutes sorry i will give a i'll send you the links afterwards to put on okay i'll put it in the notes. video description on youtube yeah. okay Perfect. so that's enough of a primer let's get mm -hmm. into the green new deal so for the Green New Deal, it, there's a first quick lesson in case someone is not that experienced with it. When you're reading a um, bill, the first section of the bill, every line is going to start with whereas, and that section of the bill is essentially just saying these are the background facts, this is the current situation and how things work to kind of define the rest of the bill, and then part of the way through the bill, it's going to switch and save resolved. And from there on, it's going to give the actual, like, what they want done. And just the, the reason I originally talked to, reach out to Anthony, is that there is so much nonsense in this bill that it was impossible to 
cre create a distilled summary refutation. I mean, just to give you uh, some example, this bill in there's the background section, it got into the wage gap. It got into the incorrect idea that there's a trending like wage stagnation among uh, manufacturing class workers in the US. It got into um, racial inequalities. It's it's so, hit every single leftist issue talking right, so it's, one it's not just a green new deal it's the idea that the government spending can be used to address a whole shopping list of issues which are perceived to be important by the groups pushing it right so it's like we're yeah. going to use the government to make remake society in the image of what how we think that society should be imaged. I mean, some people believe that's the function of government. Some people think the purpose of the government is to, you know, do this, basically engineer society to, to be better. So it's not surprising in a way, like people's, people would say, regular people, not even people on the far left, what's the function of government? Oh, to make society more fair and, you know, you know, to not just to pass laws, but to, you know, uh, try and engineer society in a better way. And so, yeah, exactly what Anthony said. It's just, and, and especially, and this point's been done, said by a few other people, but it's worth making again. AOC is claiming that if you do not fix this problems within 10 to 12 years, it will be irreversible. The world will be permanently down a dangerous path. And yet she's spending all this time talking about like gender equality. It's, if there was an asteroid heading towards Earth, you wouldn't like, oh, we need to fix this asteroid and increase minimum wage and right. do whatever else. It'd be fix the asteroid first, figure out gender equality later, and they just don't act like it, they act like it's the end of the world and also like it's just a regular old day all the time you could want. This is the, yeah, any crisis can be used by anyone on any wing of the political spectrum as the next excuse to push their shopping list. I mean, we remember under the Bush era, 9-11 was exploited um, to create a surveillance state and obviously launch the war on terror. Um, <clears throat> and and it's, it seems to be a pattern. So, you know, the progressive era, I think the same, same you know, the, the New Deal, the, it basically the, um, the crisis of the Great Depression was leveraged to get through a whole bunch of stuff that they would have wanted anyway perhaps and arguably the first and second world war too and uh global warming has definitely been used as that crisis to leverage it i mean i'm not going to go much into the theory of global warming i know episode 14 of the scottish liberty podcast did that in some depth but they're not bringing up even in this in the Green New Deal, they're saying that anything above 1.5 degrees Celsius increase from pre-industrial levels will be catastrophic and dangerous, which is what the IPCC UN consensus document is currently saying. But even if you look at people that completely agree with global warming, like the recent Nobel laureate, I cannot remember his name. It was the most recent Nobel Prize in economics was awarded for a climate model that was looking at 
what will happen with global warming and how much and how dangerous it is. And uh, let's, I have his name in a second. William well, Norhouse, that was the winner, his model was selected for Nobel Prize and it stated anything under um, any policy that will keep warming under 3.5 degrees Celsius from pre-industrial levels will cause dramatically more harm than doing nothing. He wow, said, yeah, no, he said that the 1.5 degrees Celsius m target that the Green New Deal and the UN is targeting would cost the world economy roughly $14 trillion on net in, from doing nothing. That doing nothing would be better than the Green New Deal. Among economists and people that realize that stopping the use of reliable, efficient fuel has cost, even if you agree fully with the, the most horrific projections, projections of global warming, it's still not necessarily a good idea to do these drastic measures that will reduce the living standards of everyone, especially hurting the third world and people in absolute poverty. Right, and what kind of percentage of carbon emissions is America responsible for anyway? Um, America's historically responsible for, I believe it's 30% of total historical emissions. Um, and, but we're relatively a much smaller amount now, and going forward, the United States is already n nearly at the point of cutting our carbon emissions year over year, and it's really groups people like India and China that are the yes. large emitters right now. Right, and there they are places that desperately need it because there's still a lot of poverty there despite progress being made. And not a lot of people know this, but see that like the first the 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 most affluent affluent billion people in the world um consume half of the resources and the next billion uh, consume 25 percent so you could get the first the poorest two billion people in the world up to the living standards of the third poorest billion or even the fourth poorest billion with very little environmental impact at all. So uh, I just want to throw that out because people don't know it. Another thing is with the adoption of government spending for environmental ends, supposing they do spend a trillion subsidizing solar panels and then two years later, someone brings out a slightly better solar panel. That just meant they incredibly inefficiently spent a trillion dollars. Do you know what I mean? That's just, I know it's an extreme example, but it's just the principle. The great thing about the market is people get adopt things as they actually become viable to them. And I reckon it's going to be something like solar paneled roof tiles that are going to make the big change. Because if people can actually make money from having tiles on the roof when the technology gets there, it'll be like the internet. One year, Hardly anyone has it. Five years later, almost everyone has it. You know, 10 years later, almost everyone has it. So it's really, it's really, I think technology is going to have to deliver the solution to emissions if one is necessary. And the problem a lot of green, green, green people or leftists will say, well, why doesn't the government subsidize 
the development of those technologies. Actually, that's a disincentive to innovate because by subsidizing poor technology, what you're doing is you're making something that wouldn't otherwise be marketable, marketable. And therefore, the people who are developing those technologies don't actually have the match under their ass to bring it up to scratch so that people actually want to buy it by innovating. And I would dis disagree a little bit just in kind of how you worded it. Sure. The benefit of capitalism, it isn't that people will start using technology as it comes out. The benefit is some people will use the technology before it's ready. They'll start using it and we can see what fails. That's good. I mean, there's still That's people good, yeah. now that don't even have laptops and they're doing yes. just fine. And also what you run into is government, the way government funds science just doesn't conform to how science actually works. There's a lot of research showing that the groups of scientists that are actually innovative and change the world are smaller teams. Larger teams take ideas already created and figure out how to best implement and kind of solidify the base of the idea. There's history of uh, private companies being much more generous in funding science. And if you look at something like, it's an easy example would be medical research. We don't know what the correct theory and research is. We should be looking simultaneously, does marijuana cause cancer and does marijuana cure cancer? There's contradictory, we have to search every contradictory path. And if you're a politician, imagine trying to ex explain to your constituents, we just gave a million dollars to a study um, seeing if marijuana causes cancer, another million to a study seeing if they cure cancer. You're going to look like an idiot because scientists should be left to the scientists. It shouldn't be funded by random people in the population that are going to be funding projects that don't make any sense. Right. And um, so what you're saying is uh, regarding capitalism is the great great thing about the market is ideas get tested on the small scale and if they fail to deliver well people might buy something stupid once but they're unlikely to keep on buying it they might they'll also t likely tell their friends oh yeah i got the, that solar paneled phone charger but it was a complete waste of time it, it, it didn't generate enough energy to charge my phone in fact it probably took more resources to manufacture it than i than i'll ever save using it right so we're Whereas the problem is with government mandates, some egghead think, who thinks they know everything is going to roll out that program to everyone in the whole nation. And next thing you'll find out that, um, you know, the panels were the wrong size to fit the God, Lord knows it's happened so many uh, times. There's, a, there's a good example of what happened. So the biggest problem with wind and solar is intermittency. Sure. Essentially, it's really hard to store energy, and you don't have energy when you need it. Um, there was, I believe, Alex Epstein from the Center of Industrial Progress did a back of the envelope calculation: enough batteries to just store the power the world uses in one day, because there's some days where it's rainy all day, you don't get mm -hmm. sun. The bat, just the batteries alone, not even the power transfer requirements to store that energy would cost at least $80 trillion. Right. And we already have fossil fuels, uranium, which are nature-made, concentrated, reliable energy sources that are easy to access. And when you remove those, move the intermittent sources, 
it's incredibly harmful to the economy. Germany right now, they had a very strong push for wind and solar renewable energy, and it has destroyed their energy sector. Energy prices have tripled in the past couple of decades there. They had to create a word for energy poverty. There wasn't one in the German language before. And now the best-selling books in um, used bookstores are thick and heavy and large because the German elderly have to buy used books to burn to keep themselves warm in their houses because they can't afford heating bills. They right. have taken an incredibly rich country and torn it apart because if energy spikes and lowers, then the grid can't handle it and they have to constantly ramp up and down um, natural gas power plants and send energy overseas and the solar and wind that was implemented across the whole country cost more than it gains the country compared to something like solar roofs that go with a battery wall in one house, which when implemented on a small scale kind of efficiently with a battery backup work pretty okay. well. Great, great. Okay, so that technology is coming along. I did read that. Um, in the book Abundance by Diamandis, definitely a book I recommend, that at the time, which was about 10 years ago now, um, solar was becoming 4 to 6% more efficient per year. So I think those kind of house devices might become useful in one day. But is this rate of burning fossil fuels as they, do, as they did in Germany before they switched, as we do in industrialized countries, is it sustainable so 30 years ago there were estimates done that roughly 1.7 percent of all fossil fuels that could ever be found were already used and that was supposed to be assuming all future reserves all fossil fuels that would ever be found in the earth and that was saying 1.7 percent was used the current estimate is some zero point something percent has been used we find reserves dramatically faster than we use them. If we look at the current extraction rate of, of oil, gas from the earth, even in the relatively easy to access uh, areas, it's only something like 35%. There is much, much more fossil fuels in the earth than we'll need for a very long time. The shale revolution has been massive in this and no one is saying that we're going to have to use fossil fuels forever. People are just saying fossil fuels are the best choice now. They are, what are letting people master and control their environment and make it more livable. And as fossil fuels eventually do run out at some point, hundreds and hundreds of years from now, we can transition to over to other forces of energy with, I believe that Anthony might have a different opinion, but my per personal preference at the moment being nuclear. Right. Well, I don't know enough about nuclear. I hear that it's safer than it once was. And I, I've heard um, arguments on both sides. Um, if the waste is still dangerous for thousands of years, um, it seems like to me like an irresponsible choice to to say saddle people who won't even be here in a couple of uh, for a couple of thousand years with our waste but i've heard that that's um, not always the case and there's other forms of nuclear energy that don't create this um, waste that's toxic for thousands of tens of thousands of years can you comment on that so the difficulty in the us is that when you 
energy, uh, how to say this. So nuclear energy is made from uh, uranium, which has above a certain concentration. Because of its half-life, eventually the concentration of uranium drops, and it then no longer is usable for nuclear energy. However, the way you got the uranium in the first place was by um, putting it in a um, centrifuge and distilling it. So what you can do is you can take the nuclear waste that now is too weak, too diluted to use for energy, and you can actually reconcentrate it, put it back in a centrifuge and reuse it. And essentially, you will keep using up all of the nuclear waste as more energy. It creates very, very little waste, almost none. The difficulty with this is that when this that is the centrifuge is run to recycle uranium, a very minuscule amount of plutonium is formed. It is dirty plutonium that's not usable, but due to fears in the United States um, that that plutonium can be stolen by a terrorist and used to create nuclear weapons, they have made it illegal to do any recycling of nuclear waste. It is not a nuclear problem. It is a United States government problem. If you look at something like the nuclear power plants in France, they're very energy efficient. They keep reusing their nuclear waste as more fuel, and they aren't putting out that kind of radiation and that radioactive waste. And what do you suggest is done with the plutonium at the end of the day? Um, it's a very small amount. It's something that a private company could easily handle storing getting rid of yeah, i i don't remember the exact amount but it's tiny yeah yeah but you can you this is just really interesting to me so i, I mm -hmm. assume it might be interesting to the audience as well um how long is the waste dangerous for do you know um i'm not sure of its half-life and I, I do remember there is a few articles looking at the amount of waste and showing that it could even be done things like mixed into water supplies just because they're Everything has radiation. Yeah, of course. If, if yeah. you lie next to someone, they radiate. The amount of plutonium is so small that if you like mixed it into a river, it would be less than like the background radiation from the river. And okay, that sounds, it that, way. that sounds pretty scary, but I'll believe the experts if they say it's safe. Okay. Yeah, this is you don't want to be like standing at the dumping point, but if you're across the river and fishing, you won't like you couldn't even register on a Gauss meter. And also people are scared of amounts of background radiation, but it's mostly an unfounded fear. There's a couple different theories of uh, mineral danger. One of the ones that's used by the EPA right now is saying that at very small levels, danger scares linearly, danger scales linearly, linearly for um, toxic materials. Any amount is dangerous. What's shown to be better proven out in reality is a hormetic effect, where a very small amount of something dangerous is actually beneficial. They've taken like rice, mice, and bacteria and isolated them from the radiation coming from the universe. And without this small dose of harmful radiation, they are actually much less healthy and die much faster. The small amount right. of radiation is beneficial. It would make sense because we evolved on this planet and, you know, we probably evolved for the factors that exist on this planet. So, um, well, I mean, that's my suspicion anyway. Yep. So I'm going to ask you another question. You might not know the answer, but since we're on a roll here, Go for it. <laughs> um, do you know why 
they build nuclear power stations on fault lines like in Japan. Uh, I believe that there's a genuine, there's a good reason for why they do it because people would go like, are these people complete fucking idiots? I mean, of anywhere to build a nuclear power station, you wouldn't build it on a fault line, would you? But actually there's a particular reason why they do it. I do not know, although I do want to clear up one misunderstanding about um, the incident in Fukushima. So there was a there was a nine in the Richter scale earthquake that happened and a tsunami both hit the nuclear power plant, and this is an older nuclear power plant. So this is an absolute worst case scenario. The only thing worse that ever happened like was Chernobyl and Chernobyl is because the Soviet government doesn't care about human life and they were purposely trying to see what would happen if we put the nuclear reactor in a danger zone. Mm. Um, what happened in Fukushima with this, do you know how many people died from that uh, that meltdown, that the problem with the nuclear plant? I don't know. Zero. Right. Well, some people there's... died with the evacuation. Sure. And down the line, they're still testing to see if there were any radiation long term cancer deaths. But even with a nuclear power plant that is hit by a 9.0 earthquake and a tsunami, it is still have so few deaths it's hard to measure them when you compare that to something like hydroelectric there was a recent article came out that one of the hydroelectric dams in china yeah that was covered up but it killed i think i think it was two or three hundred thousand people oh wow that's shocking if it really is that many yeah no, like, it, yeah it i mean obviously by the dam communist government be... for a while right yeah i mean that would obviously if a dam burst that's going to i think the thing is I don't know how many people who listen to this show became libertarians from the left and how many came from the right. And I do, I'm starting to think more and more that that's about temperament and that, uh, and personality. And so like, even within libertarians, you get kind of conservative and character people and more sort of libertarian, uh, liberal and character, more hippie-ish people. And I think amongst hippie-ish people, there's just an instinct that the idea of like using up resources is like, oh, like there, there's, it just feels ick. It just feels like people think of nuclear and they go, oh, I don't like the idea of that, you know, smashing atoms and stuff like that. And, oh, it can hurt people. And like, uh, there's only a limited amount of it. And are we messing with nature? And, you know, these are the kind of like gross feelings that people just don't like the idea of it. So it's very hard to get through our um, emotional pre-programming. And an example that I've heard that I really like is if renewable, like if just having something that renews itself and keeps growing is the answer, what if we had a entirely 100% renewable, never-ending source of fresh drinking water? It is a single pipe. It's on the top of Mount Everest, and it puts out two cups a year. It's right. renewable. It'll keep putting them out forever, but it's still not useful. It's not reliable. Yeah. It's not what we need. Yes. And if you look at what the history of humankind, the only resources that we've run out of have been renewables. Right. Like, because we made a lot of animals go extinct. You can renew animals forever, but 
that doesn't the resources something like helium which is a completely non-renewable gas that disappears into the atmosphere and floats out into space like after you release it mm. we have no problem with it we're still pulling it out and we're figuring out ways to use it more efficiently as we use it up and it is an important point because we have learned to use the fossil fuels more efficiently so that a little goes a long way i heard a figure read it in the rational optimist another book that i recommend that a parked car that was manufactured in the 70s has greater uh, emissions than a car that's manufactured today while it's driving you know just through leaks it's it's um so we've talked a lot about environmental issues not so much about the green new deal so let's have a look at what some of the proposals are and talk about the e economic implications of them so there's three sections to the green new deal one is kind of just overall goals and um i'm going to go through them a little bit but they're bit hard to dive into since there's not much depth so section one it says resolve that the house Repre house representative in the house representatives that it is the duty of the federal government to create a green new deal a to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions through a fair and just transaction for all communities and workers b to create millions of good high wage jobs and ensure prosperity and economic security for all people in the united states C, to invest in infrastructure and industry, et cetera. And D, to secure for all people of the US for generations to come, clean air and water, climate and communal, uh, community resiliency, healthy food, access to nature, and a sustainable environment. So those already are some pretty ambitious goals. I especially like how they're saying that it's the duty of the government to make all people of the US now and generations to come have clean water when, of course, the government messed that up just a little bit in Flint and their mm. management of the water supply and pricing controls in California are also not doing too yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because when people think about government uh, anarchism, you know, we're, uh, are you are you full-blown ANCAP? Have you gone full Rothbard? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, me too. Uh, at least ideologically, I think... Um, in terms of pra pragmatically, I'm a gradual reductionist, but I, I, I'm, I'd love to go Phil Rothbard. So, um, but one of the things, go on. Uh, philosophically, I'm Rothbardian. Pragmatically, I think it's kind of a secession is the direction right. to take it more than kind of repealing one law at a time. Right. Just push the power down and decentralize. Maybe not abolish U.S. government but at least like put everything we can back on the states and then the cities and then the people. I think we need every approach in the toolkit. So I think um, one of the things it's like, you know, agorism, secession, um, gradual reductionism, any, any weapon that you can grab, you should be, you should be lobbing it at the state. But uh, one of the things that most people would think, it's funny that people say, how will how would we build the roads rather than well how would people get clean drinking water because i think that's more of a fundamental thing well that's one thing that everyone agrees the government should do but it's interesting because many times government has um 
prosecuted people from harvesting rain off their own roof. You can you can Google it. Mo what's more to the point? It's if you are an environmentalist, why do you want all these pipes going under the ground ev everywhere and anywhere? Don't you want a local? Um, yeah, like rain harvesting, it's it's about making people independent and things like that. I was reading again. This was in the Diamandis book. They were creating a toilet for third world countries that didn't need um that that actually recycled the waste from people's bodies into um fertilizer, and they could burn the poop, and it created enough energy to um to to light an LED light bulb. So um, the interesting thing about that is this is the kind of technology that would have been developed decades ago if the government didn't give everyone piping water. Now, like you said, in California, also in many places in England, you get droughts and things like that where you know the government has to come round and say, please don't flush your toilet so much please don't take a bath just take a shower the market would sort this out you know if people were actually paying according to their usage then if the price went up too much then new people would move in and start and start uh, finding ways to supply them with water so the supply have, would increase yeah Go they on. have issues where they have grandfathered in clauses where a lot of agricultural groups That's in California get priority use of the water. Yes. They pay a small fine for using too much, but that fine's nowhere near a big enough cost to actually make them use less of it. They'll even sell the water back to other people. And if you want to see an example of kind of free market water in action, you can look at Israel. It's right. a desert country. It should have no drinking water. And all the people around it are kind of against it. They have not only developed machines to just pull water straight out of the air, but they have some of the most effective filtration systems in the world. Like water is a, in terms of use resources that we use up, it's one that it's relatively easy to reacquire if we have enough just energy and human ingenuity. And really human ingenuity is the ultimate resource in terms of, because Every single thing in the ground 100, 200 years ago was useless to us. Oil used to be a thing that spoiled crops. Um, a bunch of things just couldn't be harvested or used in any way. Resources aren't found in nature. The human mind takes the difficulty and tyranny of nature and makes it into resources to make our nice, comfortable houses where we can speak across the world through a Skype connection for free. Right, and uh, how amazing it is, how amazing the innovations of the human mind are and have been that we enjoy. So let's go and through, go on. And I forgot one other point actually in the duty of the federal government, it was so big, I thought it was another section. This one's a bit of a humdigger of just word salad. Duty of the federal government to create a new green deal to promote justice and equality by stopping current, preventing future, and repairing historic oppression of indigenous people, communities of color, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, the poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, people with disabilities, and youth. Who could be against that? Well, it, they literally list every single group except for white males. 
All oh, right, okay. But, <laughs> but do they need an actual grip for white males? Is it not? Yeah. <laughs> um, It'd be shorter to like say I not think that, white males. I think the most of white males uh, probably can find themselves fitting into one of those categories anyway if they try hard enough. They're either yeah. going to be youth or they're going to be old or they're going to be poor. Uh, but like, well, and also anything from a depopulated rural community and any deindustrialized community. No, it covers pretty much everyone except like even a small, small group of white males. And somehow these groups are the oppressed minority <laughs> relative well, okay. to this so, tiny so group of almost elites. everyone. Ev almost everyone is a minority, basically. Yeah. So let's go through. That these these five these five broad headings just one more time that you shared with us and we can just each comment on them briefly and then we'll wrap up. Um. So, so you wanted to go through the next section because that was kind of oh. just the duty of what they wanted to do. There's a okay. few more. Let's so, go for it. What did okay. you highlight? So the next session is especially fun because this is not just goals, but the things that need to be achieved within ten years. Oh wow! So, um, let's see where to go with this. They're gonna repair and upgrade all of the infrastructure in the U.S. to do, of course, universal access to, to clean water, and um, let's see, meeting one hundred percent of the power demand in the United States through clean, renewable, and zero emission energy sources to make uh to build and upgrade energy efficient and smart power grids to upgrade all existing buildings in the United States and building new buildings to maximize energy efficiency, water efficiency, and so on. So within 10 years, they will have upgraded all buildings in the United States. It's pretty, pretty yeah. impressive. And it's an interesting thing with the insulated buildings as well, because I found this out from firsthand experience a few years ago, staying in a, an apartment uh, with my girlfriend at the time. And we had, um, we discovered that behind our bed there was a whole bunch of mold. So, what what the thing is, in order to get the buildings to be completely insulated, the new new kinds of buildings, you basically have to make it so that air doesn't escape. And what happens is that because so that the heat can't escape, the 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 old buildings used to breathe, and when they breathed, they'd um, you'd prevent things like this mold creeping into your walls. And then of course, there, you think that you're saving the environment, but then you're gonna have, what might happen around your windows is the frame might get all moldy and then that will need to be replaced using a bunch of resources. The wall might need to be pulled down and new wood needs to be put into the wall now or whatever. So, um, you know, you, you try, if, it was energy efficient to insulate houses on a free market. They will get the kind of insulating that is safe because otherwise, you know, it's a cost benefit analysis. Is it going to cost me more resources um, to have a house that doesn't breathe and then have to replace a bunch of panels in 10 years because they, you know, they get all moldy or uh, is it going to be more, more efficient to my pocketbook to just pay a little bit more for energy and we'd have real prices on energy the prices would reflect the scarcity of resources and um that would create an incentive to insulate or not or otherwise depending on 
how scarce the resources were. So there's been arguments made by a number of economists historically where they said that essentially their argument was the average person is too stupid to make long-term cost-benefit calculations. That's actually the the original reason for... Like that's the original reason for cafe fuel economy standards was it wasn't even about uh, pollution. It was just, hey, people are going to buy cars that look really cheap now but are really expensive down the road. When they actually research this in uh, psychological economic literature, it turns out people are actually really, really good at making these decisions. And it's just that government officials assume we're all idiots and that we can't make these long-term co- like decisions ourselves. Can you throw you out any sources for the data? Because I, in one of my favorite podcasts that I did when I flew solo, which was called um, Why Markets Work Public Versus Private, I talked about these kinds of things that economists say, like um, whatever uh, people can go and check it out if they like. Um, and you seem to have some studies that contradict what economists say about how dumb people are. And I'm not surprised because so, people go to great lengths to research their dishwasher to get a cheap, not, not just a cheap one to buy, but one that's going to be cheap to run. You know, people do actually look it up to, on, online to find out what dishwasher or washing machine to buy. Um, I'm pulling that research from talks by Alex Epstein from the Center for Industrial Progress. And okay. I'm actually planning to, when I have my document ready to go, and I might actually even get published this article for Actual Anarchy, I'm going to send it to Center for Industrial Progress to make sure I'm yes. quoting them correctly. Apparently, yes. he is very responsive to emails and loves to be on podcasts. He doesn't even ask for donations. He just asks for people to spread the message of his organization, which is an amazing one. And I think you can contact him at alex at industrialprogress.com, I believe is his website. I believe people can double check him. So, yeah. so yeah, and um, he's a, a randist, an objectivist, a card-carrying objectivist. He's, he, he says it loud and says it proud. So... Uh, so selfish bastard right okay <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about the green okay. new deal so what's another fun one uh there's a lot of sections in it about working with farmers both where it says the government's going to promote healthy food and it also says that in the next 10 years the government will work collaboratively with farmers and ranchers to remove pollution and greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural section sector as much as possible by supporting family farming, investing in sustainable farming, and building a more sustainable food system. So with that, there's a couple things beyond just it being more efficient to grow food far away sometimes. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's an interesting book called The Local Vores Dilemma, which goes through the economics of how people's nutrition has improved dramatically when we stopped trying to have people in cold Arctic regions grow all their own food. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I talk about it in Universal Basic Income for and against my first uh, book on economics, um, uh, uh, in the section on free trade. It can so as and yeah, it's, it'd be like, do you know what? It'd be really nice if the government just stopped subsidizing farmers. You know, that might actually just be really good because then be maybe <laughs> yeah, maybe we could just import our food 
from poor places so that those poor places can get rich and then those people can get up out of a subs like i get really annoyed at these kind of misanthropic myths like well, uh, if if they get rich, then they're going to compete with us. It's like no, actually, what happens is they get they they get when 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 economies get rich, people work in ideas instead of on like farms and factories. And when they work in ideas, they invent things that benefit everyone in the whole world. It would be great for us if Africa had a first world standard of living because they'd be invent you know they they'd be inventing all sorts of inventions and things like that that we could make use of so it's like this um uh this kind of like i just think it's i just think that the la the subsidization of food in america it's terrible it's ter and the tariffs they're terrible for Amer poor americans as well because they can't import cheap ass food from abroad it'd be really great to be able to and they're often especially going for some of the unhealthiest food, subsidizing really bad corn oils or removing things like hemp, which actually was oh, yeah. both a better food source in many ways and was also a much better – like it was an actual functional biofuel source that the right. U.S. military during World War II, the soldiers' um, uniforms made of hemp, the tanks ran on hemp ethanol. Like we had a hemp army back then. Now it's legal and banned. And, and with that, we also have stuff like if I know it, you're from not from the U.S., but there's some insane stuff about U.S. sugar policy in the past. I believe the Dangerous History podcast has a whole two or three part series about it where it's literally gang members came from overseas and took over the U.S. sugar industry with essentially slave labor. And then we still have such crazy tariffs. The U.S. pays twice as much as the rest of the world for sugar. And even beyond that, healthy food is essentially available to all Americans. But people have different preferences and subjective rankings of what they value. People don't want to always eat healthy food. This is really just a savior complex from the government, especially when many of the government officials that signed on to this probably aren't that healthy no and uh lord you know can this government just save us from ourselves and our own lack of willpower well um i don't think the government's the right tool for the job so and i just add to that from an environmental perspective if you do believe that global warming is man-made and that it's potentially catastrophic hemp is one of the fastest CO2 to biomass converters. It grows incredibly quickly, sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere and can also put nutrients back into the soil. It's good for crop rotation. So um, when you want to restore a forest, say that has not been a forest for a long time, it's good to grow hemp first before trying to replant the forest in some cases. The and, stuff if you I read. To, and if you want to grow back forest, it's really simple provide fossil fuels. Every single country that has reached an industrial level of something near like Chile or higher has had a greenening. The right. United, starting right. in the 1950s, deforestation reversed. The rainforest in like Amazon is doing very well. It's not really a danger. It's, it's just a myth. That's good to know. Okay. Phew. Uh, we rolled a hard six on that one, a hard seven. Yeah, rather. No, I've, I've been to the Amazon rainforest and it's amazing. Like I'm, I'm very happy it's not going away, and I'm, 
angry that people are freaking out. Like the, the only per group that was in danger of tearing down the Amazon rainforest is when the Brazilian government yeah. had a centralized tyrannical power that wanted to build a bridge to the Amazon. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's not, not surprising when government gets involved. Another point is they didn't really have secure property rights. So a charity couldn't just go there and buy up the rainforest and say, well, we own this, so you can't cut it down. They would cut it down anyway because the government wasn't going to defend the charity's uh, property claim to the forest. Okay. Let's see if we can hack through. Um, there are a couple others in the 10-year plan just... That sounds ominously like the five-year plan. Yeah, no, but lots of things about restoring fragile ecosystems and removing hazardous waste, all like cleaning up all hazardous waste sites and abandoned sites within 10 years to allow new sustainability. But I think I might actually jump into the long-term stuff. Before you do, I think, could would it be exaggerating or unfair to just say that that this whole proposal is like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could just wave a ma use the government, wave the government like a magic wand and turn the world um, full of rainbows and unicorns and pixies? Is that it? I th I think you're underestimating it. It's not wave the magic wand and turn the world into pixies. It's wave the government like a magic wand and turn the world into pixies and if we don't do it we're all dead in 10 years okay okay so, so it's, it's carrot and stick <laughs> carrot right. and stick and the carrots made of gold and the stick is uranium all right well plutonium <laughs> actually oh yeah plutonium even more dangerous um well I, I will also note for the funding of the green new deal um They've done an amazing job of deflecting from any question about funding. Right. They really, whenever it's brought up, they say, well, how do we fund World War II? And how do we fund all this like other military stuff? And however we fund that is how we're going to fund this. And they're really leaning heav heavily on the MMT, the Modern Monetary Theory Group, with, whose argument is essentially – because the government prints their own money, they can never default, so we can just print as much money as you want to pay for whatever we want. I'm badly oversimplifying their theory. It is much more complex and nuanced, but the way that politicians use their theory is essentially the government prints the money, we can spend everything as much as we want. Robert Murphy has done some excellent work on this, both on his blog on Mises.org and in the Contra Krugman podcast. Um, that's worth noting that they are literally saying, oh, we'll just print money to pay for it. Okay. <laughs> so for the long-term things, it's, of course, we need to provide resources, training, and education, much more public investment, and we're just going to help all of these poor economies build up by giving them the money to implement the Green New Deal policies. They also do say they will guarantee a family-sustaining wage for everyone, um, strengthen pr and protect the rights of all workers to organize, unionize, collectively bargain, and strengthen and enforce labor, workplace health and safety, anti-discrimination, and wage and hour standards across all employers, industry, and sectors. The long-term parts it gets into is doing a little bit less with the 
environment stuff and just the full progressive wish list of everything they could ever ask for just got tacked on at the end. Right. Yeah, and uh, it's important that people realize, because especially now with automation, even people who are skeptical of things like the UBI think the government should be spending tons of money retraining people. What they don't understand is that the government doesn't know what to train people in. Like, who knows? The only thing, the only people who know how to train people and what to train people in are employers, employers and businesses that are successful. I, All I would of even their... throw in there, I would say that you're not being harsh enough. Um, if you have you, uh, do you know of Brian Kaplan, the case? Before you go on. Before you go on, just let me say that, that, that all the labor laws that they propose, including the living wage and the, the controls, which will make employing people more expensive, deter businesses from taking people on and training them. Because I'm not going to spend $20 on your $15 wage and $5 complying to the lab, with the labor laws, plus probably another $4 per hour on your health insurance, making it cost me $24 or more to employ you, to train you, because you're not making me any money whatsoever while you're training. So if the economy is to adapt, people think in precarious times, the government needs to come in to help people adapt to the changes in the economy. It's when there's it's precarious times that you need the market to be as free as possible to allow people to adapt. And you're gonna talk about Brian Kaplan's book, The yeah. Case Against Education. Yeah, I think that the government entirely fails in its free education efforts. That if you are, that even if we assumed that there was a role to re-educate people, what the government has done to re-educate people is a terrible way to do it. If we want to allow transfer between jobs as necessary to help the economy, the real way to do it is to remove the minimum wage. That's um, that. the book, the book, the forgotten, Depre the forgotten depression that covers the great depression in 1931, which no one's ever heard of is excellent. Essentially there was a depression on the same scale as the great depression. I'm sorry. I said wrong year, 1921. There was a depression on the same scale as the great depression, similar decrease in the stock market and everything else, but the government did nothing and wages were allowed to drop and the depression was over within a year and a half compared to the 1929 great depression where Herbert Hoover, an extreme interventionist in the economy held wages high and worked with business leaders to hold wages high. So people could not adjust and the economy took over a decade to recover. If you want to allow people to transfer between jobs, make it cheaper for employers to hire people and fire people so they're not scared to hire someone new. Great stuff. Thank you, Drake, for joining me. Before you go, is there anything that we should be looking at doing for the environment? Reusing as materials is always a good thing to do. Reducing your personal waste, um, there is some issues with the recycling system as it exists in most countries. Industrial level recycling is done very, very well because they have uniform byproducts, but that's not really in your realm of control. 
if you want to improve the environment around people, you should advocate for using our best, most reliable, cheapest source of energy in the moment because people in the world are legitimately suffering from dangerous environments. People in sub-Saharan African countries are getting heat stroke. They are dying due to too much exposure. I think it's 2 million people a year, mostly women and children, die to exposure from smoke, from burning fires in their houses to stay yes. warm. If we want to help those people, it's not through uh, preventing climate change. It's through getting them energy here and now. I don't care about it temperature being one degree cooler a year from now. I care about getting that burning person an air conditioner tomorrow and getting them water. And we do that through fossil fuels and later maybe through nuclear, through whatever energy source comes next, which the free market will find. And we can, you know, add to that that the wealth that we gain from using fossil fuels will help us um, research and create the next revolution in energy. I should just also add the concept of the Kuznets curve, curve the environment, no, the environmental Kuznets curve, which I think I can't remember the figure, but I think they say countries tend to be less become more conscious of their environmental impact and spend more money addressing environmental issues when they gain an income of, if I remember it correctly, about six or $7,000 per capita. And it makes sense if you think about it because poor countries can't, poor places can't actually afford to defoul their water. They can afford to put recycling infrastructure into place. They can't afford, they just, um, I mean, I've been to India several times and you, you see it, you know, just trash thrown outside. Sometimes they burn piles of trash, including a lot of plastic. It's poor, you know, people cannot be conscious. They're just trying to scrape out a living. Once people are wealthy, then they become, or they can't afford to replant their forests, say. Um, once they become more more wealthy, they've got the resources and people do care about their environment. I mean, we are organisms. We're in a deep relationship with the environment. If the environment is poisonous, we die. So I think that a lot of this green stuff, I'm very in favor of environmentalism, but I can't say that I am in the popular form of it, which I fear is too much driven by... Um, emotion and not enough by reason and evidence. Do you have anything to add? No, it just if that I completely agree. If you want to improve everything, including the environment, it's by making the poor wealthy and capitalism has been the thing to do it. Okay, thanks again, Drake. Um, lovely to have you in the Scottish Liberty podcast and just tell people where they can follow your work. Um, I don't, I had my own site for a bit and it turned out that it was not, it didn't make sense to keep it up for myself. I occasionally contribute to actualanarchy.com. Um, you can, if you search Young Americans Liberty University of Cincinnati, you can find some of my old debates on various topics. Great. Um, and anything from Freedom Tunes is highly recommended. Yes, and if it, people have you have a question to ask you, well, I guess they can find you on Facebook. So thanks very yeah. much for joining me. Hopefully speak again sometime. Anytime. Ta-ta.